Here's a super familiar life trajectory. Deckhand on a fishing boat, trained to become a firefighter, pursuit of an acting career, relief worker in Sudan before enlisting in the army and becoming a Green Beret. All of that before playing college football at the University of Texas and then going on to the NFL. And on the tail end of it, sitting with Colin Kaepernick, discussing standing versus sitting versus kneeling during the national anthem before a football game. Nate Boyer joins the show, and our conversation today is about conversations and how we need to have a little more of them today, perhaps now more than ever. Nate Boyer, welcome to Pick Up the Six podcast. Thank you very much, brother. Appreciate it. Good to be here. Absolutely, man. Thrilled to have you. Thanks for cutting some time out and joining us to, to share your story. We don't need to go full Joe Rogan style here and, and dig into the full Nate Boyer story. I get the feeling if we really went through all of it, it might take us three or four hours, given all of those different things that you've done a bit of a, a renaissance, man. Brother, it is a road less traveled to ultimately end up after six years in the Army as a Green Beret playing college football at the University of Texas of all places. So, so do this for me, though. Connect the dots for us from Nate Boyer growing up to, I know there's a pivotal moment that happened in your life doing that relief work in Sudan. So help us connect the dots there at least, because it's fascinating. Yeah, so I, uh, I you know, not, after 9-11, for the next couple of years, um, I was sort of going back and forth in my, in my head and, and with my life of like, what, what should I do? That sort of opened up my aperture to, um, you know, to a world that I didn't really even consider as something that would be my reality, uh, not just Terry, but just sort of having a, a global mission in some way, you know, and I was living in Los Angeles, which is the king of living in a bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I came across this time magazine article and this is uh, this is in 2004, actually. Um, I was 23 years old, been spinning my wheels quite a bit. Um, a lot of passion, but not a lot of purpose. Yeah. And not a lot of direction. And this Time Magazine article that the cover, um, the, the, uh, the title of it was The Tragedy in Sudan. And I, I, I go into this article and it's like this incredible photos uh, that were taken by Jim Nockway, who's a prolific war photographer. And I'm reading about these people um, who are in the midst of a genocide. 300,000 killed, mostly women and children are living in these ref- refugee camps. The men have already been murdered or off fighting. Um, most of those women had been raped. Uh, many of the, the kids had been, you know, maimed, their villages burned to the ground. And it's like, for me, in, in, you know, in LA, I'm like, how does this, I, ha- I, I almost just couldn't compute. How does this like level of oppression exist in the world today? You know, in 2004, it just, it made no sense. I, I just couldn't wrap my brain around it. And so I, I was like, just compelled to do something. And, and like I said, I felt really stuck in my life at that time. So I called all these NGOs. I called Doctors Without Borders, Catholic Relief Services, Child Fund. I was like, I want to go volunteer. I want to help. Um, I'll, I'll fly myself over there. Like I'm reading about how you guys are massively understaffed at these camps. And, you know, I, I can, I can, you know, I, I worked odd jobs in construction and stuff like that. Like I can help build campsites, dig ditches, you know, assist in the medical centers, like whatever you need, I'll be that guy. And they all told me no, because I didn't have a college degree and there's, you know, there's red tape around all this stuff and it's just complicated, which I understand now that I served in the military, how red tape can be a a determining factor in whether or not someone can assist in a situation. But 
I, uh, I said, I'm going no matter what, like I committed to this. So I, I bought a plane ticket, flew myself over there. Once I got on the ground, I just like BS my way onto a UN, uh, HCR flight. That's the United Nation high commission for refugees. Yeah, BS my way onto the flight. They flew me over to where the camps, uh, they flew us over to where the camps were. And once I got on the ground there, I just kind of talked my way into, uh, a volunteering a job. And, and that was, I was living with the people. I was sleeping on the ground every night and, um, doing all those things I was hoping I'd be able to do. Like, um, assist in the medical centers, played soccer with the kids every day. Um, we helped build these the campsites, helped, uh, you know, helped the women, um, with like tasks, you know, mm-hmm. like there's a lot, there's a lot that they're doing day to day. I mean, they're living in these refugee camps, like a full, you know, their, their sort of day-to-day life that they left, lived across the border in Sudan completely changed me. And, uh, um, I just, I felt purposeful. I mean, these people all wanted to hear about America and like, I would get asked these questions about this, you know, this paradise that I lived in. And I didn't feel like it was a paradise at the time, but then when you're comparing it to something like that, it's definitely changes your perspective. And, uh, my last week in country, I got malaria and this family there put me up. They wouldn't let me give them a dime. They took care of me, nursed me back to health, put me in this little, in their little mud hut on this cot and put a radio next to the, to the cot. And the only station you could pick up on the radio was the BBC. And uh, that was at the exact time the Second Battle of Fallujah was happening. Mm-hmm. So I'm listening to the play-by-play of the Second Battle of Fallujah from, you know, the, the Darfur. Um, and I was just inspired to, to join the military. Like I knew in that moment, I'm like, I'm going to come home and I'm going to serve my country. And uh, I want to fight for those that can't fight for themselves. Like these people that I'm serving uh, right now and that are for, they need somebody to fight for them as well. And that's what inspired me to join the military. Came home, found out about the Army Special Forces. Um, the, you know, the Green Beret motto is De Oppresso Liber, which means to free the oppressed. And that just fit exactly what I wanted to do. And that's where my uh, decision was made to go into the military. Incredible stories tucked in here. And, and the theme that emerges from this is you're a guy of action, right? Like I see something in front of me. I want to do something about it. I need to take some action. Whether you necessarily know what the next 15 steps may be, you know, you just found ways to kind of jump into this. It's, it's a pretty incredible moment, right? Sort of this pivotal moment. Maybe if you don't get sick, that family doesn't take you in. They don't hit you with that single radio. Maybe that those things don't transpire. Have you thought about that since then? Totally. I have completely thought about it because I mean, we all need time to think and reflect after something we're involved in. And, and malaria gave me that time to think and reflect because I couldn't do anything for, you know, the better part of a week. And I was, uh, and maybe I was a little bit, I don't know. Um, maybe it was, uh, the, the, the fact that I was weak and my brain was, was operating on a different level than it normally does. Um, you know, maybe I was just sensitive to things that I wouldn't, normally wouldn't be sensitive to. And yeah. You know, like you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, God knows what I would have, uh, what path I would have taken if sure. I didn't get sick. Well, that family picked up your six man in that moment. And uh, that's incredible, incredible story. All right. Six years in the army, make your way into the green beret. Uh, not something that if you probably looked back early in your life, you would have ever thought would have happened. Uh, what'd you take from that experience? A lot. Uh, I took a lot from that experience. I mean, not to mention just the training alone is incredible. You know, um, there's a really high attrition rate in the special forces. So from basic training on through, you know, selection and the entire special forces qualification course, I had to just work. I had to work harder than I'd ever worked in my life. And, 
you know, I, I was always this kid growing up playing sports that loved to practice and kind of do stuff on my own, but I didn't really, I, I didn't, I didn't practice uh, in the proper way. You know what I mean? And I didn't, uh, I, I was never really willing to sacrifice other things in my life to focus on the thing that I really wanted. And that, that forces you to do that. I mean, if you want to become a green beret, like you have to make great sacrifices in your life. And, uh, and a lot of a lot of them are just time, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it's also just like, make, you know, committing to, to, to being healthy and to studying and uh, to outworking everybody around you, or at least trying to. And those are the things that I had to do. And so then, so I got a lot out of that just from that experience, but then overseas, um, you know, from, from working alongside other Green Berets and, and learning from you know, mentors and uh, guys that kind of took me under their wing, and, you know, the battle buddies that were willing to do anything, whether that was you know, a, a dirty job around the team house or take a bullet for you. Like you learn a lot about a, a different type of sacrifice and, you know, commitment to one another, brotherhood, camaraderie, all those things. And then from the Iraqi and Afghan people, you know, this like willingness to listen and try to understand people from other cultures that just, you may have nothing in common on paper. You know, you may meet them and think like, well, I'm never going to align with this individual. Like they believe in all these different things that I don't even consider as uh, valid. Yeah. Um, but once you spend time with those people and realize they're all human beings, just like you, and we're all full of, um, you know, frailty and uh, mm -hmm. mistakes and um, full of shit <laughs> yeah. on some levels. Yeah. Sure. And, uh, uh, but we're also like, you know, we all want the same things generally. We want to, we want to be, we want to belong. We want to, mm -hmm. uh, we want to be loved. We want to matter. We want to know when we wake up in the morning, the world would be a worse off place if we weren't wrong. We all want to feel that. And that's how, I mean, that's just a very human thing. And uh, so it taught me how to listen and just sort of acknowledge the fact that my way isn't the only way. And just because I feel so strongly about something, about the fact that I'm right, this is the way you're supposed to live your life. It doesn't mean that it's the best for everybody. Yeah. That's going to become an important piece of your story. When we talk about sitting down and listening, right? You were able to sit down and listen to those situations. You ultimately get cast in the position of sitting down and listen, listening to Colin Kaepernick as he's going through this real sort of incredible uh, movement that's happening. Before we get to that, though, clearly not a guy who's going to take the easy road. So post-military career, then it's like, all right, what's the next challenge for me? What's the next challenge for an A Boyer? I'm going to walk on at a college football team, and not just any college football team. University of Texas, pretty big college football team. Nate, I will share this fun story with you. Uh, in my first organized football game, freshman year of high school, playing football at Eastern White High School, Goldsboro, North Carolina, we're down in Jacksonville somewhere, and I'm the center. So naturally, as a center, it means I have to deep snap as well. And on the very first deep snap of my high school football career, can you guess where that deep snap went? Uh, about 10 yards over the punter's head. Sailing, bro. Sailing. <laughs> it was a disaster. Fire, fire, fire. Everybody's Oh, no, no, no. That's great. That's great. Well, oh, man. you know. So, so tell me about that, dude. You decide post-military career, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to go to Texas, and uh, we're going to play some football for the Longhorns. Yeah. You know, it was uh, – growing up, I was always a big football fan. I never played growing up. Uh, I played every other sport football just never didn't happen for me when I was younger. Initially, my mom didn't want me to play because of the injuries and stuff like that. And then as I got older, it was just a confidence thing. You know, I mean, I was 13, 14 years old. I could have played if I wanted to, and I didn't want to because I was like, well, what if I get cut or what if I have to ride mm. the bench or what? Like, I, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if I can handle that, which is a very cowardly way of living. But you know, when you're 13, 14, you don't have a ton of self-esteem. That yeah, sure. happens a lot, sadly. 
Imagine and, uh, what happens and so the, when, you, when your first deep snap goes over the pond. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's funny. I uh, so I just I regretted not playing. Yeah. You know? I mean, I was a huge 49er fan. I was Joe Montana for Halloween two years in a row when I was a wow. kid. And uh, and I didn't uh, and it just never left me. So now I'm 29 <laughs> years old and I'm coming off of active duty. And I applied to uh, the only school I applied to was University of Texas because I loved Austin. Yep. Um, I knew Texas was good to their veterans, and that had a that football team had a quite a legacy, you know, and that mattered to me. I wanted to go somewhere with uh, you know, with history like that. And so I go out, try out for the team, you know, make it on the scout team, um, which you know, man, I got to dress for home games. And mm-hmm. um, during those home games, my first year there, they, you know, I had to lead the team out of the tunnel with the American flag and. You know, it was a, it was a cool, it was, it was, a, it was a cool experience, but I wanted to find a way to get on the field. So, uh, uh what happened in my sophomore year is first of all, I, I reenlisted into the Texas national guard, um, which meant I would be able to go overseas in the summer every year while I was in college. So I did, I redeployed a couple of times uh, through the rest of my college career. Um, uh, but also, um, I wanted to, you know, I, I tried a new position. I tried to figure out how to long snap because the starter was graduating. Um, with my athleticism or lack thereof, there wasn't a lot of places that I knew I could start at. I mean, I was a safety, but I wasn't fast enough or um, good enough at football to, to play safety. I couldn't cover these guys. You know, I didn't know how to properly hit somebody coming over the middle and all, all these kind of things. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of passion, but not a lot of uh, practicality. Um, and so I uh, started long snapping and I just was, I was snapping a hundred balls a day. Wow. It's a thankless job, you know, something people don't want to do, because like you said, no one knows who you are if you would have got that snap right, <laughs> exactly um, right. you know, but everybody knows who you are and you're the back guy, you're the reason we lost if that happens in the game, you know, and uh, that's a that dangerous game. thing. We lost that game 44 to zip, Nate, so I don't know. Oh, thank God. 100% thank God. My <laughs> well, you set the tone, though. That's right. You're you know? exactly. <laughs> no, I'm leaders lead, man. <laughs> um, so. Yeah. So I, I, and then when I went, when I got, went overseas that summer, I brought a couple of footballs with me. I snapped mm-hmm. every day, um, built a little target out of plywood and that's just what I did. And I came back and Mac Brown let me try out for the, for the starting job. I won the backup job week one and, uh, you know, we're playing, uh, Wyoming and, uh, the, the starter had a couple of bad snaps or not great snaps. I should say not bad, not disasters, but they're just, they weren't great. We missed a kick because of one of them. And so the next week at practice, we had like a competition on Wednesday um, and Mac just straight up said, like, you got 10 snaps each. Whoever's better out of these 10 is starting on Saturday. And I won the competition and then started for 38 straight games over the next three years um, until I graduated. And, uh, and, you know, and, and, and fortunately, knock on wood, I guess it doesn't matter to knock on wood now because I'm never going to snap again. I never had a. I never had one sale. I got lucky. You know, I had uh, not every snap was perfect, but, uh, um, you know, it was enough to, to get through, uh, get through those games and, and, you know, eventually get an opportunity, a brief opportunity at the next level. Sure. Was a semifinalist for the William V Campbell trophy award in 2014. That thing is given out to college football players with the best combination of academics, community service, and on field performance. So, Pretty cool honor and encapsulating thing to be nominated for. So make your way through the University of Texas. Uh, pretty cool story, man, in that it ultimately comes down to 
10 snaps in practice. Max got a way of motivating guys and, and gets them going. He's uh, not too far from where I sit now as he's coaching the Tar Heels at the University of North Carolina. Good to see him. Who's, back who's number seven in the preseason rankings, yeah, by man, the way. They got some special players. Sam Howell's special yeah. quarterback. We don't need to do a full football show here, but yeah. uh, I was an, I App, I was an App State guy, and we caught. I went to App State. We caught Carolina at the right time to go over there and play them and beat them. Couple oh yeah. Ago. So timing, timing, right. Nate, as you know, is important. So you end up in the NFL for a little bit, and part of that is a big part of your story, which is this moment with Colin Kaepernick as he's going through this decision, looking for an outlet to talk about injustices that he's seeing in and around his community, and something that he wants to talk about and elevate. And if the, if I have the story right, it got to a point where he had sat for a few games, and then there was going to be a preseason game that was televised, and you guys got an opportunity to your point earlier to have a conversation. So take us into what ultimately happens there that gets you and Kaepernick together to have this conversation that leads towards the next step. Cause again, you're an action guy. Let's figure out a way. Let's figure out what we're going to do here. Talk us through. Yeah. So 2016 now, you know, I, I was, uh, I was fortunate to be in training camp at the Seattle Seahawks in 2015 um, played in one preseason game, just like I did in college. They asked me if I wanted to leave the team out of the tunnel with the American flag before the game. And I did. I ran onto that field and, uh, you know, we're getting ready to start the game. I'm nervous as I'll get out. And the uh, announcer says, would everybody please rise for the national anthem? And in college, you know, the players aren't on the field during the anthem. We're in the locker room. So this was, you know, a, kind of a new experience to me. And so I, you know, I search around the stadium for the flag, find the highest one in the building, put my hand on my heart, face it, song starts playing. And I started crying. Mm. I was just like so emotional, you know, yeah. in that moment. And it was like, you know, a lot of it was pride in, in myself and what, where I'd gotten to, but it was also like thinking about, you know, my, my, my buddies that didn't make it back or the people that were over there still fighting or the people that did make it back home and didn't feel like they were capable of doing something like I just did. You know, I didn't feel like that was possible. Um, and all those things, there's a mix of emotions. And, uh, and then we played the game, you know, and, and, and went on with the, you know, that, and, and I, you know, I, I got to play that, that week, next week when they made, um, you know, the, all the cuts or whatever through training camp, I was one of those names on the list. Um, and you know, it is what it is, but I was proud, proud of that opportunity, proud of that shot that I got. So fast forward exactly a year later, we're in the preseason again. Um, I'm not playing at this time. Um, it's also the middle of the election cycle, Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton and, um, and Colin Kaepernick starts sitting on the bench in protest of police brutality, um, racial inequality and social injustice. Uh, and he's, his protest, his choice of protest was during the national anthem. And, uh, um, that was very volatile, you know, mm -hmm. and definitely a, uh, um, <laughs> a still very controversial topic uh, to this day, five years later. And, uh, so when I saw that, I was initially hurt. I mean, I was a big Ford fan, like I said, and he was like one of my favorite players. I mean, he got us back to the Super Bowl, almost won it. Yeah. And, you know, it was just, uh, it was like frustrating because I was like, man, what, what are you complaining about? Like, this is the greatest country in the world. You know, I mean, how I understand things aren't perfect here, but like, you know, it just, it just like, it just really hurt to see that, you know? Um, I wasn't really listening to what he was saying. I was just making a, a judgment on what I saw, you know, and maybe a headline that was, you know, typed up or whatever. And, uh, and I got reached out to by CNN, Fox news, MSNBC, every, you know, cable news network. They wanted me to come on and debate it, debate this topic with somebody because oh, yeah, I we're going to talk to the veteran in the NFL about this thing that's happening. 
Yeah. You got down with him yet, right? No, I hadn't met him. I hadn't even met him. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it was just, uh, it was frustrating, you know, but it was like, I understood why they were reaching out to me, but it's like, I'm not the, I'm not the end all. Like, I, I'm not right. the, you know, I don't have the answers here. I mean, I just have an opinion like everybody else. Well, I finally agreed to write an open letter through the Army Times um, because they kept hitting me up saying, please write something. You can write whatever you want. And so I wrote an open letter to Colin as if I had him in the room for five minutes. Sure. And, uh, you know, it went like crazy viral. Um, people, mostly in sports media, were the first ones to share it. And uh, then eventually Colin himself uh, reached out and said uh, that he was inspired by the letter and he wanted to meet. Basically what it said in the letter was like, this is my experience. I mean, much of the story I just told you, this is why I feel pride in those symbols. But I also understand that I have a different relationship to those symbols because mm -hmm. of what I did with my life because of my experiences. And for me to pretend that I know what it's like to be, you know, a person of color in America is, is, is as ignorant as someone who's never been to war, you know, to, to say they know what it's like to walk around in my combat boots. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, and I just said, look, I, I, you know, I look forward to the day that you're inspired to stand again. I'll be standing right there next to you. And Colin reached out, wanted to meet. And I went down to San Diego uh, the next day. They were playing the Chargers in their final preseason game. Uh, it was just a, a week or so before 9-11. So it's Military Appreciation Day. There's like a flyover with Navy SEALs jumping in the stadium and all that stuff's going on. And he's saying he's going to sit again during the anthem. Yeah. And, uh, so we meet in the lobby of the team hotel just about four hours before kickoff and, you know, just, just talked, we just talked about you know, our lives, talked about football, talked about, um, why he felt the way he felt, you know, and I was just trying to listen and understand. And, um, I mean, the reality was we had a lot in common. Um, we, we believe a lot of the same things. We want a lot of the same things for our country. You know, we want us to do better. We want us to be, to live up to our potential. We want that that flag to represent uh, the promise that it's has been made that it's supposed to represent, you know, equality for all people. And, and uh, you know, we have different ways of maybe going about it. And, you know, I didn't necessarily think that, you know, that time was maybe the, um, the best time, but the reality is it's not up to me, A and B, a protest isn't meant to be comfortable. You know what I mean? It's meant That's to right. get people talking and it certainly wasn't comfortable. And, uh, and, you know, at the end of the conversation, he said, look, I, I don't want to offend people in the military because I got a great respect for men and women in uniform. Um, do you think there's a, another way I could protest that I can offend these people? And I said, no, there's nothing you can do protest wise. It's not going to offend some people. But if you're asking my opinion, um, I think sitting on the bench isolated away from your teammate isn't teammates isn't super inspiring. And, uh, you know, I'm not I don't speak for the veteran community or anybody but myself, but. I think if you were at least alongside your teammates, it would go a long way to, to get people to listen maybe a little differently. And he was like, well, but I'm not going to stand. Like I've committed to that. And I said, well, then the only option you probably have is taking a knee. Um, people take a knee to pray and propose to their future spouse. And when a player on the hurt, um, a player on the field is hurt, uh, the other players take a knee out of respect. So, you know, I think that's a respectful gesture. I think it's a good middle ground. Maybe um, it's showing that you're willing to adjust and listen um, and so I, I, you know, I think that would be, if you're, if you're, if you're open to changing, I think that would be something worth doing. And, and if you're willing to do that, I'll stand there next to you. And so he did, he was, he took a knee that night. I stood next to him. A lot of fans booed. Uh, it <laughs> continued to be a controversial topic, but I think 
that story, that piece of it is something that's become quite lost. And people don't understand that, like, he was willing to make, you know, believe, agree with him or not. He was willing to at least listen and and make an adjustment in that moment. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I, I'm proud to be a part of that conversation. And, um, you know, as things continue to develop and you know, 2020 was a tough year, but there was a lot that's sort of changed out of that. And hopefully we continue to, you know, reunite as a country and kind of come together and take those opportunities to listen to people that we don't necessarily agree with. Nate, we only have a few more minutes left, man. And But the, the key to me in all this and where, where I want our listeners to lean in and even go back and listen to it again is one stems out of a conversation with perspective as a key. And, and I think it illustrates that not everything is this or that. Not everything has to be A or B. There's always some truth that lies somewhere in the middle. Colin Kaepernick didn't kneel in that moment because he hated the American flag. I've seen, you've seen that on social media across the board. People probably sent you that on social media. Nate, how could you do that? Right, right, But right. it's not that crystal clear. There's always more context to all this. And the ability for you to lean in in that moment, I think, shows incredible service before self and a strength of purpose that maybe you never thought you'd be cast into. But there's also some context, right? There's a lot of context that's often missing from these conversations. Right. Yeah. There's, there's always context missing. I mean, especially in this day and age, it's all, it's a soundbite, it's a headline, it's an image. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, like these, whether it's social media or cable news, um, they're trying to sell advertising spots, (laughs) you know, they're trying to make money. And uh, if they can elicit um, some, some pretty um, uh, divisive Mm -hmm. reactions, that's good for business, sadly. You know, and and and, and I mean, you, you, I guarantee there's a lot of people in high places uh, in these cable news networks who are even, especially ones probably that are liberal ones, that are, are a little bit bored right now and frustrated <laughs> that they don't have Donald Trump to talk yeah, about sure. every day. And you know what I mean? And that's ironic sure. and also really sad because yeah. it's like, what's what are we really doing here? Well, I think it, it behooves us then as Americans to to step into the fray and and uh, and lead in our communities and to continue yep. to push that going forward, right? If we're going to wait on a bunch of politicians to fix everything and bring us all together, you're going to be waiting for a long, long time. Oh, yeah. So no, we have to do it. And I think the veteran community can be lead, yep. leading that charge. It probably should be. Absolutely. Hey, before we go, man, you want to tell me about Mission 6-0, merging vets and players and waterboys.org? I know the three things you care about. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Mission Six Zero is a team building leadership development uh, uh, group that I work with, and uh, started by Jason Van Camp. And uh, yeah, and, uh, I think uh, it's an important time for us to <laughs> um, to lead our businesses and our mm-hmm. communities in different ways. And you know, I think utilizing the special operations um, way of doing things, um, that humanitarian side, that uh, working alongside. Uh, host nationals, you know, foreign internal defense. Um, you just, you listen to people differently when, when you kind of understand that, that your way isn't the only way. And, uh, you know, there's, there's also very creative ways that, mm-hmm. you know, you develop those, uh, the, the different types of leadership and the different ways of inspiring people. And, you know, I don't want to say just like coaxing people into getting things done that you want them to do. Um, but, uh, I, I think I think leaders these days aren't willing to um, often aren't willing to uh, to to put themselves on their employer's level or employees level, excuse me. And, 
you know, and try to try to like really empathize with where they're coming from. Mission, uh, Merging Vets and Players MVP is a veteran, uh, you know, community service, excuse me, a veteran service organization. Um, I co-founded with Jay Glazer and we bring together combat vets and former professional athletes and help them find purpose and uh, identity locker room again when the uniform comes off. And uh, we're in seven cities now. Um, Dallas is about to open next, but we're already in Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Chicago, Atlanta, New York, and Seattle. And, uh, you know, we're growing like crazy and it's just been pretty incredible to see us grow, especially through the pandemic in 2020. Mm -hmm. So you want to learn more about that, go to vets and players. Uh, org. What was the last thing you said? There's yeah, waterboys.org. Oh, yeah, waterboys.org. That was started by Chris Long. And uh, it's a clean water project in East Africa. So we're building wells out there um, that are solar powered, fully sustainable, and, uh, you know, run by the people that live there. And it, the water changes those communities. I mean, that's the biggest need in, in that part of the world. And every year we go with a bunch of uh, former NFL players and some of them even current and uh, and combat vets and we climb Mount Kilimanjaro together and raise money for these wells. Uh, and that's a really, really special project. We didn't get to climb Kilimanjaro this year, but we'll be back out there next year and, uh, you know, to help the people of uh, Tanzania and the surrounding countries um, to try to you know, get that, that clean water, uh, get those wells dug and, and, you know, help those communities thrive. I mean, when you, when you dig a well, they often build a school right next to it. Yeah. And, uh, and it's not just helping the people, it's helping the crops, it's helping the livestock. It's completely changing the universe. He's Nate Boyer. It is an incredible story, man. Uh, a renaissance, man, if you look at all the things. But a guy that, if you look at what we're focused in, uh, in on here at Pick Up the Six, about service before self, strength of purpose, and community impact. Nate, you check all those boxes. Incredibly grateful for your time joining us today. Thank you very much, brother. 